After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanour or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul. That's how we think of him. His name was Paul and his job was an apostle. It's a very holy sounding job. He did other things of course. He wrote letters, thought grand theological thoughts, but they were all holy things as well. But Acts gives a broader picture. In Acts 18, Paul the Traveller arrives in Corinth and in verses 3 and 4 there's an interesting little detail about him. He had a trade. He was a tent maker. We don't think about this much because we prefer to focus on the theologian and the church planter, but the thing is you can't have one without the other. Without his ability to travel and earn a living, Paul would have had no one to write to, and possibly even not much to say. In the ancient world, tent makers worked with a range of materials, not just canvas but leather as well. So like a lot of craftsmen before and since, Paul was versatile, and he was also able to travel. All he needed was his bundle of tools, knives, awls, sharpening stones, needles, thread, and carrying that he could travel from city to city and earn a living. 
There were two reasons why people like Paul needed to be mobile. The first was that he consciously decided to take the gospel on the road. He was a travelling evangelist and teacher. And the second reason is that because he was a travelling evangelist and teacher, he was always getting kicked out of places. That's how he arrived in Corinth, in Acts 18. He'd first been kicked out of Philippi and then driven out of Thessalonica and Berea by mobs. But in Corinth he found a home and a workshop with a couple called Priscilla and Aquila. Like Paul, they were tent makers. Like Paul, they were followers of Jesus. And like Paul, they too had been kicked out. In their case, thrown out of Rome on the orders of the Emperor Claudius. We can imagine their living conditions. Corinth was full of shops set around small squares or markets where artisans could ply their trade. Generally, the owners lived above the shop. Priscilla and Aquila probably rented a shop with a room above it. They would have slept in the upper room and Paul, well, Paul probably slept in the workshop. So that's the origin of the church in Corinth. Three exiles gathering together in a tent maker's workshop. They didn't have a church building. The early church, whether in Rome or Jerusalem or Corinth, met in domestic settings. There were no official public church buildings as such. For most of the first three centuries of its life, the Christian church was a house church. Sometimes Christians went to the synagogue, but they were soon exiled from those meetings. Instead, they met in ordinary places. Houses, tenement buildings, apartments, workshops. Acts tells us that the converts of Paul and Priscilla and Aquila eventually start meeting in the house of a man called Justus. But before that, when there was, was just a handful of them, the first meeting place must have been in that workshop itself. So imagine an early church service in Corinth. They would meet early in the morning or late at night on the first day of the week. They had to meet early outside working hours because Sunday was an ordinary day. And these were ordinary working people. The tools would be put away. The floor swept, the shutters closed, the room lit by the smoky oil lamps. And they would sit there on mounds of leather hides or bales of canvas or the coils of rope. And there in that very ordinary space, they would share extraordinary things. The bread and the wine and the stories about Jesus. That's the other thing. They had no Bibles. They might have had some copies of letters or parts of what we call the Old Testament, but, but they didn't have this, a book with all the official bits in it. They were still writing that. What they had were stories, the things about Jesus that they'd heard and remembered and passed on, and for many of them, what they'd actually seen. It's a picture of church that many Christians around the world would recognise today. Today, the most common place for secret believers to worship is in a flat or a house. So let's picture one of those meetings, today's secret church. It happens in an ordinary house. Individuals arrive one by one at intervals so as not to draw too much attention. They gather in darkened rooms, the windows covered. People sit on the floor, no sermon, no loud music. And like Paul's church, no one has a Bible with them. They might have Bibles at home, kept secret and hidden, but no one carries a Bible with them in public. Instead, they have the Bible in here, in the head, and in the heart. There are churches like that all over the world, in Somalia, in Iran, in Vietnam, in China, anywhere where Christians cannot meet openly and in public. Sometimes the problem is not secrecy, but exile. Many Christians find themselves like Priscilla and Aquila, exiled from their home. In Erbil, in Iraq, one group of displaced Christians has their church in a tent, in the middle of a small square. Paul would really have felt at home. 
Their former church building is some 45 miles away in a place now occupied by Islamic State militants, but they've learned to improvise. And this is what their church leader says. We have our prayers and services in exactly the same way as we did in our village. So in this way, we remember our church and our village. He says, of course, I desire to go back to my church, the place I grew up in, but if I'm called to serve in the desert, I can still serve there. From sand, I can make a church. When you have a dangerous faith, you have to be prepared to live on the move. Jesus, after all, was always calling people to movement because it's only when you move out of your comfort zone that you find out how strong your faith really is. The early church learned that. They learned that because Jesus was always with them, their church could meet anywhere. Their Bible was in their heads and in their hearts. For the persecuted church, the same is true. One of the things which Open Doors does is supply the persecuted church with Bibles, but the words never stay on the page. I've met many Christians from the persecuted church who can recite huge chunks of the Bible from memory. In one African country, I visited a safe house where Christians were learning huge parts of the Bible and were able to recite it by heart. Why? Because they were preparing to move, to return to their homes, where it might be dangerous to have a physical copy of the Bible. So they carried it inside them. And because they carried it in their heads, they also carried it in their hearts. Perhaps around the world, we've become too reliant on external helps to our faith. You know, we need our purpose-built buildings. We need our finely bound Bibles. We need our worship band. We don't have to remember the Bible. We can just look it up. And we can easily get obsessed by the ABCs, attendance, buildings, cash. The early church was more interested in the D, the daily life, discipleship, danger, maybe even the desert. Because with the right outlook, you can build a church from sand. I'm Sarah Jane. Do you wish that God would talk to you? Well, he has been and he is talking to you. And he has said this much. What an amazing thing it is that God has revealed himself to us in his holy book. And it's translated into English so that we can understand it. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. So our existence here is temporary, but his word is eternal. He also said that one shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So how healthy is our spiritual diet? Would we go to a wedding reception and then not enjoy the canapes, the food and the drink provided as part of the celebration? That's what it is to be a Christian and then not read the Bible. Now we may think that we don't need to learn bits of the Bible because we can look it all up. But just because it's online, it doesn't mean that it's in our minds. The Holy Spirit just isn't going to download the Bible into our heads it takes a bit of intentional discipline. So why do Christians in dangerous places le learn the Bible? Isn't it enough that they can just pray to God wherever they are? 
Open Doors says that unless they get Christian resources to a new believer within about six months, the pressure to return to their family and to their old religion can become just too great. And that's because we need to have God's truth in our hearts, nourishing us and convincing us that following Jesus is worth the cost, even a family, a job or persecution. Because we need to know that God loves us, he is in control and he's with us. He's guiding us through the highs and lows of life, even through COVID, showing us how we can play our part and that in the end, all will be well for eternity. So you can guess what's coming. Here's a challenge. If you have some time in this restricted summer holiday, learn some scripture. Can anyone remember Dave T's memory verse from last week? It was 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Look it up and then put it into context. It's amazing how our weakness allows Jesus' strength to show through, can be uh, applied in so many different ways. Maybe find out the verses behind your favourite worship song or hymn. Or find a verse that could help you if you're going through a difficult time at the moment. Or something about creation care or social justice. Or a really good one is the Beatitudes that we studied at church recently. So once we have scripture in our heads, we can think about it. We can engage with it. We can feed on it. And then God can speak to us through that word at different times and in different ways. So scripture can give us comfort as we claim God's promises. And we can pass that on to others. God's word can help us to know how to react in different and unexpected circumstances. And God will be speaking to us. And then we'll have more to say back to God, getting to know him better. So let's just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and the freedom to read it. Make us hungry for your word. Help us to keep your word in our hearts and understand more about what you are saying to us. And please be close to those who are suffering for their faith now. Nourish and equip them by the truth of your word in their hearts. Amen. Oh,